new men that. Come on, a great shout for a great God. Come on. Hallelujah. Do this. Just, just stay standing for a second. Lift your hands high to heaven. Come on, I didn't come all the way just to, to speak a sermon to you. Father, we thank you tonight. Say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, tonight I declare I'm in your house and I'm about to receive your word. When I hear your word and it goes into my heart, everything is going to change. I'm walking out of here different to the way I came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give two or three people a high five. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. Why lie when you can prophesy? The Bible says God speaks those things that aren't as though they are. I always want to say that. That way, if the sermon's lousy, at least you can say, well, I did hear one good thing in church. Someone told me I was really, really ridiculously good looking. Fantastic. Well, I'm just so proud. How many people are proud of Pastor Craig and beautiful Pastor Trinity Jordan? And uh, they, were, they were our two ICs for seven years. And I, I don't know if you, you could have uh, asked for or prayed for a more faithful couple. And uh, they were our armor bearers. They were our friends. They were brothers and sisters and warriors in battle and mischievous chipmunks in some of the naughty things that we did where we look back and we think, man, we... We know that God's grace is great because he didn't take our credential away. I mean, they tried, and uh, but we just had so much fun. So to see them and their beautiful family and Maddie up here playing the bass and she taught herself. Are you kidding me? So awesome. And uh, Erica singing like an angel, absolute angel. No, you're amazing. And uh, so great to see uh, Graham and Chris who were just the backbone of our church when we were in Monaco City. So I lived here for seven years. It's great to be back. First thing I did was I, I bought myself a, a proper shirt. And uh, so I have two Kiwi sons. My first two sons were born here, and um, they're 24 and 21. My 21-year-old just got married. So it's crazy. I've now got a daughter-in-law. And, uh, but I, 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 used to, I used to kind of come through Pukekohe to go out to uh, Port Waikato to go surfing. And uh, or out to Kariatahi. So uh, it's got a lot of memory here. Seven years, the first seven years of our ministry life was here. And uh, my wife just flew back. Oh, golly. She, well, she landed this morning. So I think she left last night, landed this morning back in San Diego. She was speaking at the Sisters Conference. So uh, we just love Aotearoa. My little daughter was crying. She didn't want to leave. She loves New Zealand. I love it more than my home, is what she was saying. So. There's just something beautiful about the Kiwis. Uh, it's a bit sad, though, on Saturday to see the, uh, the box get up, although that's not a bad thing for the box to have a win every now and again, as long as the Aussies don't win. I'm just glad that the Aussies, as long as I don't mind. But, uh, but anyway, hey, really quickly, I want to I share a great word with you, but I did bring a few of these with me. I just wrote a, a new book called Leader Sight. The only time Jesus spoke about leadership uh, he spoke about vision. He says, unless, unless the blind, uh, sorry, if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a ditch? So somebody has to be able to see. So leadership requires seeing. And then I began to discover that there are five times in the Bible where God specifically uses the word see. Now, how many people know that sight is different to vision? How many people know they all saw the giants in the promised land? 
they all saw the same land flowing with milk and honey. Ten saw that it was impossible. Two saw something very different. Two said, what are you talking about? Their protection has departed from them. They are our bread. They are our food. Let us go up at once, for in God we are well able to take the land. Joshua and Caleb saw differently to everybody else. You may say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter how you see. Well, the other 10 didn't cross the Jordan River. The other 10 died on this side of the wilderness. It was only Joshua and Caleb and another generation that came up that actually crossed the Jordan River. So seeing is, is important uh, or having vision is important. In, in Genesis 13, 14 and 15, God says to Abraham, lift up your eyes and see for all the land that you see I am giving you. And one of the great big battles that, that you and I face is, is being able to see a God solution. When you get a negative report from a doctor where you know, something has gone wrong or there's a crisis or whatever, to be able to see through what you've currently heard, to see the God solution, to see the God outcome. And so that's what this book's all about, seeing the invisible to achieve the impossible. So I want to encourage you to get that. But come with me in your, your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. It's so funny, I... Uh, I was so looking forward to come. I was meant to be at in Malaysia right now for a conference, and they kept fuddy-duddying with the dates. So I thought, no, I want to go and see Craig and Trinity, and then I've got some friends down in Tauranga in the Bay of Plenty, and then another friend down in uh, Taranaki. So I thought, no, I'm going to spend three days in New Zealand instead. And uh, I, need a, I need a Kiwi fix. Forgive me, it's raining because I've been asking for rain. I live in San Diego. Don't hate me, but we never get rain. I'm like, oh, dear. I was in... England twice in the last six weeks no not once did it rain when I was there they had heat waves both times and I'm just like oh man I don't want this so thank God I've got rain here in Auckland so forgive me I know you were praying for sunshine I'm glad to be getting rain all right you're there the book of Jeremiah if you don't have a Bible just find a Christian sit next to them just kidding just kidding Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9 if you don't have the Bible then you're just gonna have to trust that I'm reading the truth Jeremiah 1 verse 9 says, Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, here's one of the five C's in Scripture. Here's one of the five C's. See, I have this day set you over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. One more time, the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over. Everyone say, set you over. I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. It's amazing. I spent the first 15 years of my ministry life as a youth pastor, and then the last 13 years of my ministry life as a senior pastor. And I'm a little bit of a slow learner, so it took me 28 years to realize what the purpose of a pastor is, what the purpose of a church is. And I've come to the conclusion that my job in my city, in San Diego, is not to echo the culture of San Diego. My job isn't to just repeat what is popular in San Diego. God's kingdom... For God to establish his kingdom, he always does it through his word. My job is not to echo the words of the city. 
My job is to hear from heaven and shoot out of my mouth a word from God into the city. Everything that God does, he does through his word. Everything God does, he does through his word. So the title of my message today is being over what you've previously been under. Being over what you've previously been under. God says to Jeremiah, see this day I've put my word in your mouth. I put my word in your mouth, and because I put my word in your mouth, God says to Jeremiah, I need you to see that I'm no that you're no longer under. I need you to see that my word in your mouth sets you over. When we read in the scripture, we find in, in the book of Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And light was. Now, let me just kind of destroy a few fallacies. The book that I wrote uh, before Leader Sight was a book called Push, Pray Until Something Happens. I wrote this book because I didn't get to grow up in church. My dad was an atheist. So I got saved on a beach when I was 18. And so, so I had to kind of just learn from reading the Bible. And I began to find that the church was teaching one thing and the Bible was showing me something else. The church was teaching uh, me that God's will is automatic. That if God wills something, it just automatically happens. It was God's will for there to be light. It was God's will for there to be light. But the light didn't come just because it was God's will. The light only came when God's word was sent forth. In Amos 3 verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing except he first reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. The Bible says, if we were to read on in Jeremiah 1.12, that the Lord watches over his word to perform it. You will find that where there's an absence of God's word, there is a presence of darkness. You'll find that where there's an absence of God's word. See, when God said, let there be light, you need to understand light was Genesis 1.3. But you will find it wasn't until the fourth day that God created the sun. So there was light before there was sun. Now, if you talk to scientists, and, and science is, it means to, to know or, or to discover knowledge. So they're still catching up. The Bible is way ahead of science. Science is catching up to what the Scripture says. So some people say, well, you can't have, you can't, how can you have light without the sun? Well, I was flying over um, New Mexico one time, and we were, the pilot says, oh, listen, we're, we're going to fly through a, a very severe uh, storm, there's a lot of lightning, and uh, we're trying to do our best to, to go around it, but it's too big to get around. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting by the window, and I look out, and all I saw is this lightning, and I'm telling you, everything was black, and then the, when the lightning came, I could see an entire city. It was like it lit up like it was day. I could see an entire city, roads and schools and, and football fields and everything, and then obviously as the lightning vanished, it went dark again. Then the lightning came again, then everything lit up. And then I began to see when God's word came forth and said, let there be light. God's word has enough power within it. God's word doesn't need a generator. It doesn't need to be plugged into a wall. When God says, let there be light, his word has enough power to accomplish what it's sent out to do. Somebody say amen. So you need to understand that, that, that God, God never wills something he doesn't speak, and God doesn't speak something he doesn't will. God doesn't will something he doesn't speak, and he doesn't speak something he doesn't will. So, so tonight I want to I pray for, for you 
And I, I want to shift something in the atmosphere because I want to teach a little bit and then I want to pray because I honestly believe that, that we don't even realize that quite often we're living under what God has called us to rule over. That, that we're living under what God has called us to rule over. And the reason we're living under what God has called us to rule over is because we've not yet heard the word, we've not yet received the word, or we've not yet spoken the word. I love, I love the story where, you know, they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, hey, Lord, Lazarus, the one whom you love is sick. Which, which is an awesome story in itself because a lot of people think, well, if God loves you, he's not going to let anything bad happen to you. But they say to him, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. So that tells me that, that, that just because I'm going through a trial or going through a challenge or going through something difficult doesn't mean that God stopped loving me. That's kind of good news. But I love this because Jesus then says, this sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. So he waits there a few more days. And then, you know, then he says, okay, let's go and we're going to go and wake up Lazarus. And they said, well, what do you mean wake him up? Well, Jesus says he sleeps. I said, Lord, if he sleeps, it's a good sign. If he sleeps, he'll get better. And she's like, oh, I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. I'm not talking about physical sleep. I'm talking about his death, D-E-D, death. He says, and I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there to prevent it. I'm going to go and raise him up. And so, you know, they get to, to Bethany and Martha comes out, Lord, if only you would have been here. Mary then comes out, Lord, if only you would have been here. Shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. Jesus wept. And as the Pharisees and the scribes see Jesus weeping, they said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? Which is quite interesting because I'm not sure whether you realize that, but all three of those people had the same perception of God, which is a misperception that a lot of people have. You ever talk to an atheist? They have this same perception. They have this perception that God is a preventionist. It's like we, we, we formed this committee on planet Earth. And we've approached God and we said, Lord, from henceforth, us as the committee of earthlings have decreed that from henceforth on, thou art a preventionist. Lord, we will worship you, providing you prevent bad things from happening to good people. But nowhere in the Bible does God say he's a preventionist. No, nowhere in the Bible does God say he's a preventionist. In fact, Jesus has to say, oh, Martha. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would, your brother will rise again? And she's like, I've been to Sabbath school. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And she's like, no, no, sweetie, sweetie, look at me, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me, Sharon. He's, oh, he didn't say that. He said, he said, sweetheart, I am the resurrection and the life. Where I go, resurrection goes. Where I, I am the word. Jesus is the word. So when Jesus gets to the, to the, to the tomb, I want you to notice he doesn't go into the tomb. He stands out from the tomb. And he says, roll away the stone. And Martha again says, Lord, by now there's a stench. She says, Martha, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. Roll away the stone. So they rolled away the stone. When they rolled away the stone, all Jesus had to do was speak. Now, most of the disciples, as they, as they walk along there, probably thought, well, you got this one wrong. You know, nine out of ten is not bad. Jesus says it wouldn't end in death, and here he is, he's dead. But Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He just said it wouldn't end there. Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He just says it's not going to end in death. Because the last time I read my Bible, the Bible says that Jesus is the 
the author and the finisher. Jesus doesn't just begin your story and then say, whoa, <laughs> that's enough for me. He, he begins your story and he's still writing your story. Jesus is the author and the finisher. Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He just said it wouldn't end there. And because Jesus says it would not end in death, when he got there, he didn't need to go in and pray for Lazarus. He didn't have to go there and kind of, you know, defibrillate Lazarus with some laying on of hands prayer. All Jesus had to do was stand there and go, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. That's all Jesus had to do. The reason he had to, that's all that he had to do was because when they put Lazarus in the tomb, Jesus' word was already hovering over him. When they put Lazarus in the tomb, there was a word spoken from a man who could not lie. The reason he could not lie is because God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If God says that black is white, black becomes white. When he says, let there be light, there's nothing in the universe that can stop it. That's why you find the stanza in the book of Genesis. It says, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, let there be a firmament, and it was so. And God said, let dry land appear, and dry land appear. And then God said, let the earth produce, and the earth produce. And then God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And then Satan saw that unless he intervenes, this pattern makes human beings invincible. So he comes to Adam and Eve and he says, has God really said? Because he knows that his only chance of, of luring you into a place where he can rule over you is to get you to doubt the power of God's word. And so you and I live today in a place where God is looking for believers. The entire Old Testament, you found blessing in your doing. If you observe these laws, if you keep my commands, if if you follow these decrees, the whole Old Testament was about doing. The New Testament, you don't find favor with God or blessing in God from doing. You find it in believing. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would, come on somebody, whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in me will have the light of life. Though we die, yet shall he live. The whole New Testament is about believing, believing. What do we believe in? We believe that God said it, that we, we, we're sons of Abraham. Abraham, even though he was uh, 90, Sarah was 80, God says to him, you're going to have a child. He's like, well, Ishmael. No, not Ishmael. He says, you're going to have a child from Sarah's body. Sarah's womb was dead. The Bible says in the book of Romans that Abraham, Abraham, didn't consider his own body already being dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but counted God faithful, was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to deliver. And Abraham makes a transition, and it's a credit to him as righteousness, because he said, even though medical science, and even though my circumstances, and even though my situation says that this is impossible, I've walked with God for 90 years. And everything God has spoken has come to pass. No once has he misled me. No once has he lied. This is what I know about God. The God who's spoken the universe exists. This God, when he speaks a word, that his word will come to pass. His word doesn't need any assistance. When he said, let there be light, he says, I'll wait four days and then I'll put a sun in the sky. God's word has power in it. 
And so, so he comes to Jeremiah and he touches Jeremiah's mouth. And he says to Jeremiah, who's anywhere between 9 and 13 years of age. He says, and I want you to see that this day I've set you over. My question to you tonight is, what are you living under that God has called you to live over? That the job of the church is not to echo the words of the, of, of the culture. When I moved to San Diego, very quickly, the devil works through, you know, well-meaning or jealous or envious Christians. So all these pastors wanting to help me stay small. So they came to me and they tried to tell me, hey, you know, San Diego's a preacher's graveyard. Or, you, you know, whatever you do, don't be spirit-filled. Oh, biggest spirit-filled church in San Diego's 300 people. They hate that stuff here. Here's a Calvary Chapel stronghold. And they just, they'd get, they, kept, they kept trying to put a word in my mouth. Now, if I agree with them, because power is released in agreement. Power is released in agreement. So if I would have agreed with them, I would experience what, what I said. All right, let me just kind of push on that because I can see just some partly cloudy stairs. Uh, when Jesus, when Jesus was standing on, on the platform, and the Bible says all the people are accusing Jesus, and Pontius Pilate, you know, he's kind of a little bit puffed up, and he looks at Jesus and says, don't you hear these accusations? Sayest thou nothing? Do you not realize that this day I have the power to decide whether you live or whether you die? And Jesus just looks at him and says, you'd have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. But even now, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight for my release. So Pilate, because remember he got that letter from his wife saying, have nothing to do with this man. I've suffered things in a dream because of him. He turns and he's never seen anybody like Jesus. And so he says to Jesus, he says, you are a king then. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, it is as you say. It is as you say. See, Jesus knows who he is. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change Jesus. He's not kind of vanishing in and vanishing. Jesus knows who he is. But Jesus knowing who he is doesn't save you. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. For with the heart one believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is as you say. It is as you say. So Jesus is trying to help Pontius Pilate. Dude, it is as you say. I know who I am, but who do you say? So when I got to San Diego, people tried to get me to say that San Diego is difficult. San, San Diego is a preacher's graveyard. San Diego is a church where you can't be spirit-filled. But I just made a decision. I ain't saying what, I ain't going to echo what's already in the city. The city's jacked up as it is. God didn't send me to be another jacked up pastor in a jacked up city. I think that he sent me there to do something that hasn't been done. So I just started making a decision. Uh-uh. You go ahead and confess that. I ain't confessing that. I, I've traveled too far. My mom was, you know, was kind of, uh, she had a car accident. They, God bless, you know, Australia. They uh, tried her on this menopause drug that then they realized, oh, shoot, it causes dementia. So they pulled it off, but it had already created brain uh, calcifications. She went through a stop sign and had a head-on collision, was in hospital and, uh, and uh, was, you know, that weren't sure whether she was going to recover. And so I'm like, I'm not leaving my, my mother in a terminal condition in hospital after a car accident, moving all this way just to be a repeat of what's already in the city. I'm like, you know, 
uh, that ain't happening. So I started making a confession, San Diego, city for Christ. People are coming to the altars every week. People are being saved. And a spirit-filled church. We're going to be the first spirit-filled church, uh, you know, that grows over 1,000. And then it was 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. We had hundreds of people saved. We got people baptized. And I was breathing. And they tried to tell me, whatever you do, don't do deliverance in church. If, man, you're going to freak people out. This is Southern California. If you do deliverance in church, when people come in, they see demons manifesting. So the first thing I did was organize a deliverance seminar. And uh, so we had, you know, people manifesting and demons coming out. And I'm just waiting for them. They said, whatever you do, don't speak in tongues in church. So, you know, it's a little bit of the naughty German arrogant in me. But I'm just, just arrogant enough for, to, not, to not come under what I'm meant to rule over. And so, 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 we, so in our church, a few years ago, God says to me, he says, uh, I want you to dig three wells. Dig three wells. I'm like, okay, well, like where? Like you want me to go out under the property in the parking lot where do you want me to he goes no no in the spirit in the spirit he goes i want you to dig three wells because and i don't have time to go into this but you just have to trust me that the king the kingdom of god is a flow the kingdom of god is a flow uh, jesus is walking through a crowd and a woman with an with an issue of blood for 12 years comes behind him in the press and she says to herself she says to herself if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made healed. I shall be made whole. I shall be healed. I shall be made whole. So I like this woman because she, she has a confession. The word in her mouth is different to the word of her. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And they're like, Lord, everyone's touching you. Get out of here. Everyone's. He says, no, no, no. Somebody touched me because I felt power. I felt virtue flow out of my body. The kingdom is a flow. The kingdom of God is a flow. And so God began to say to me, I need you to, to ramp up the, 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 the spiritual climate because the church is meant to be the gate of heaven. Not only am I meant to speak a different word to the culture, not only is the church meant to speak life where everyone's speaking death, speak hope where everyone's saying there's, there's, there's no future. We're meant to speak a different word, but not only that, there should be a flow. There should be something in the atmosphere. Every January we, we do a fast. We either do a 21-day fast or a 30-day fast, or sometimes we've done 40-day fast. And, uh, and God says, this, these next three years, every January, I want you to fast, and you're to pray for these three flows that are going to be synonymous with what, what's going to happen in your church. And he showed me in Genesis 26 where Abraham dug again the wells of, uh, sorry, Isaac dug again the wells of his father Abraham because the Philistines had stopped them up. And God said in the, in the 60s and the 70s, there was the charismatic movement. And right through America, there was, there was healings and there was miracles. And out of that came Kenneth Hagin and the Copelands and the faith movement. And everything was born. And, and Oral Roberts and all of these people. And God says, you know, but the enemy has come over the years. And he's, he's helped us to do seeker-friendly church. And, and what we've done is we've, we've pushed God behind a curtain out the back. And, and every now and again, we wheel him out to perform, and then we wheel him back behind the curtain before people get offended. And, and so God says, you need to dig again. You need to dig again those wells. He says, the wells are already there. They're just being stopped up by the Philistines, by the enemy. And so we began to pray in three, three flows. The first one was, was flows of prosperity, that, that people would begin to flourish, people would prosper. Debts, supernatural, canceled. Second one was people who were barren would, would, would just have babies. And then the third one was people who had sickness, disease, terminal illnesses, terminal would be terminated. 
And so, so all of a sudden, as, uh, over the next three years, as, as every January we pray for these things, we see these things ramping up. My wife prayed for a young lady who had had nine miscarriages. She had uh, ovarian cysts that were, were cancerous in, in, in one of her uh, ovaries. I had to remove the ovary. And so my wife pulls her out and prophesies over her that she's going to have twins. She says, see you with twins, twin boys. So obviously one of the doctors comes up and tells her straight afterwards it's impossible. She's lost an ovary, and uh, you can't really have twins. And why on earth did you say twin boys? And so I should have showed you the photo, but there's a photo of this young lady with her twin boys because God doesn't need no help. God, God, God doesn't need medical science to approve his plans. God just does his plans because he's God. He just does what he likes. And sometimes he just likes to do stuff that people say he can't do just to remind them again that he is God and you are not. He just does this stuff. Uh, uh, we had a situation where a guy got saved and, and uh, he was... He was kind of like, you know, in the, in the, in the, the world and motivational stuff. And so he comes and he gets saved and, and he gets healed. He has, he has his bad knee and he gets healed. And so he just kind of believes that God's a healing God. And so, so then he's talking to his friend up in LA and his friend in LA tells him that his dad, who lives in Arizona, has got like six weeks to live or two months to live or something on cancer. And it's, you know, they've stopped the treatment. It's too far gone. And so he says, oh, you ought to bring him to church. And uh, he says, well, well, I got my knee healed. He says, there's healing in our church. And so this, this guy is desperate, doesn't know any better, but he likes his friend, drives from, from uh, L.A. to Arizona eight hours, picks his dad up and then drives from Arizona to San Diego six hours. And we have four campuses, but he doesn't go to the, he goes to the north campus, the furthest one from Arizona, and he gets in and he walks in there. And, uh, and this guy forgets to tell the pastor that this guy's coming. And just we do 60 seconds of prayer where, where, you know, we kind of pray over what used to be prayer requests. Now we call them the book of miracles because requests go in and miracles come out. And so, so, so just in the praying, my youth pastor is kind of standing in front of this old man. She's never seen him before. And just, hey, if you need a miracle, raise your hand. So he raised his hand. So he just turns around. She puts her hand on him. She goes, man, my hand's burning. Can you feel that? He starts crying. Anyway, we find out three, three days later that he goes back to the doctor and he's feeling really healthy. He doesn't understand why. They do a weaker test and now they can't find the cancer. He's completely healed because there's a flow. There's a flow. There's a flow in the house of God. The flow of God is released by the word of God. The flow of God is released by the word of God. Jesus says to, to, to Pontius Pilate, it is as you say. It is as you say. I find that my, my greatest battle is to, to not echo the world. It's to not echo the words of the world, but to, 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 to lean in and hear from God. Um, when my mother passed away, it was 10 years ago. I remember praying for God to heal her because we're getting all these people healed in our church in San Diego. My mother was so far away in Sydney. My brother called. He says, Mom, it doesn't look good. And so I got up one morning. I went to pray. And as clear as I've ever heard God speak, he said, I'm going to give you a daughter. And she'll comfort you when your mama comes home. And so I raced home. It was like 4.30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. Race and woke Leanne. I'm like, baby, guess what? And she's like, what, what, what is it? I'm like, God said we're going to have a daughter. She looks at me. She goes, not out of this body. She was done after three. She goes, besides, you don't know how to make daughters. Because, you know, we had three sons. I'm like, well, that's what God said. So six weeks later, six weeks later, she has... Uh, coffee with one of the single mums in our church and the single mum says to her oh man i've had three dreams that you're pregnant and i was like ha, 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 very funny she goes no i'm never wrong 
So I get home and Leanne's got, got uh, three pregnancy tests and they're all blue, blue, you know, positive, positive, positive. I said, well, why'd you buy three? She goes, well, I bought the first one and I thought it was faulty. So I said, you bought three. So she buys three and they're all positive. So we go to the ultrasound. I know, I know it's a girl. I know it's a girl. So, you know, we go in there and say, British lady. She's like, oh, you, what you got at home then? And Leanne goes, oh, we've got three sons. Oh, you ready for a fourth boy? Probability. I said, oh, no, this one's a girl. Oh, wishful thinking. I said, not wishful thinking. I said, God told me. She goes, I don't believe in God. I said, well, you will in a moment. I said, it's a little girl. It's a little girl. And so she's like, well, we'll see about that. And she, you know, doing all this. And then sure enough, she goes, oh, my gosh, it's a little girl. And as soon as she said it's a little girl, I just joy. And I look at Leanne, Leanne looks at me, and we just start crying, just the goodness of God. But how many people know there is a devil? See, if there was, if there was no devil, life would be so much easier. But we didn't even get to enjoy the moment for 60 seconds before she starts going, oh, no. Oh, that's not good. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh. She goes, listen, I need you to go over to that computer over there and type in the words echogenic foci. I'm like, I can't even say it, let alone spell. How do I spell? And so anyway, so she has to spell it for me. And then she goes, listen, we need you to come back in three days to have an, uh, a 300-point ultrasound. So we had to come back three days later. And Leanne's like obviously very you know, anxious, like what's going on? Is everything okay? And this time the, the, the lady doing the ultrasound, the nurse doing the ultrasound, she's, she's no words. She's, I'm trying to, hey, is everything okay? And I just see her doing this, and then she's circling stuff, circling stuff, circling stuff on the computer screen, doing this. And instead of it being 20 minutes, it was 60 minutes. And it was 60 minutes, it was so difficult because this nurse or doctor would not in any way uh, interact or correspond with us, was just circling things on the screen. When it finished, she said to Liam, you can put your gown on and get dressed and so then we walk out and then they said are oh, you you're going to go into this this office so we walk into this office and there's three doctors in white coats and they said oh you know take a seat mr and mrs matesius they said listen um uh your daughter she's around 20 to 21 weeks but we can we can work with the dates because in california back then you couldn't have an abortion after 20 weeks and they said listen we can fix it but we would highly recommend that you abort this young lady she has massive chromosome deficiencies. She has development deficiencies in her heart, in her lungs. She has nine of the 16 markers for Down syndrome. Uh, she's going to be severely handicapped. Are you ready for a severely handicapped daughter? Now, my wife didn't ask for this baby. I did. And so, so she obviously looks at me and, you know, opposites attract and then opposites attack. And so, you know, so... So it was, a, it was quite an uncomfortable ride home, but, but I said, no, we're not, a, you know, we're not aborting. And so we ride home, and so Leanne's in the car saying, why would God do this? Why would God do this? And I'm like, sweetheart, I'm not sure he has, but I know him. And so let me talk to him. And so, so I get home, and, and i just got to get away from everybody. And so all I know what to do is I, I just grab my acoustic guitar, and I go into my wardrobe, and I shut the door because Leanne doesn't want to hear my bad guitar playing. And so I'm just in, the, in there, and I'm just playing. And I'm just playing a few chords, and I'm getting the chords wrong. As the deer panted for, 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 for the wa wa water, so my soul, so, so, so long. And, it's, you know, it's not good, right? So next minute, the Holy Spirit says, just, just, just don't, 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 don't sing. Don't, don't sing. I'm like, but my sing. He's like, no, no, just don't, don't sing. 
Okay. So I'm just trying to play. He goes, don't, don't, just, just C. Look, I can do more than C. I can do E minor, D, you know, F. He's like, just, just, just C. I'm just playing C in my wardrobe. Oh, this is weird. And I'm just playing, just trying to be obedient. And then all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit fall. And he says, James 1.17. James 1.17. Where do I know James 1.17? James 1.17. Trials. He goes, no, that's James 1.4. Like, What's James 1.17? He goes, look it up. So I looked it up. It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And God said to me, what I've put in Leanne's womb is good and perfect. I am still knitting her together. David wrote, you knit me together in the secret part of my mother's womb. God says, I haven't finished. But what, it, what you're going to have is good and perfect. Come to find there are, there, are, there are curses at work and cycles, and I don't have time to preach that one to you, but Leanne is the fourth. And her mother was told to abort her, and now she has a force. And the doctors are telling her to abort. And so, but we get a word from God. So I write that word. I write that word, and I put it on a piece of card, and I put it on Leanne's bedside table. I write it out again. I put it on my bedside table. I write it out again. I stick it on her mirror. I write it out again. I stick it on my mirror. I write it out again. I stick it on her steering wheel in the car so that when we're stuck in traffic rather than curse about how bad the traffic is, we can prophesy according to the word of God. I put it in my car. I put it on. I tape it to the front of her Bible. I tape it to the front of my Bible. So whether we're, we're asleep, whether we're in bed, whether we're driving, whether we're reading our Bible, wherever we are, that scripture, James 1.17, every morning and every evening I would lay hands on Leanne's stomach and I'd prophesy James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift comes down. Now the, the, the doctors were trying to ring us because they wanted us to, because we were going through now with having a baby, they wanted us to do a course in how to manage a severe, I said, oh no, I don't need to. I said, got a second opinion, everything's great. They said, oh, did you go to Dr. Such and Such? I said, no, I didn't go to Dr. Such and Such. Well, if you went to Dr. Such and Such at the script clinic, we're suing him. I said, I didn't go to Dr. Such and Such. I just went to a higher authority. That's all I did. Now, now listen, I'm not trying to say that you don't listen to doctors. Doctors have an authority. Come on, doctors have an authority. God bless doctors. But you know they're not the last authority. You do know that, right? Doctors have an authority, but they're not the final authority. So you, so, so it's what God says. So anyway, so, so this, this whole battle goes on. And then the night before Zoe was born, this is August 16th. She was born August 17th. I have a dream. The problem is I didn't get the interpretation of the dream till like five years later. I shared the, 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 the dream. And then someone says, oh, you know what that means? And I'm like, oh, where were you five years ago? Thanks a lot. But I have this dream. And in this dream, I see Leanne's car. And all of a sudden, it's a hearse. And then the hearse, you know, funeral car opens up at the back and there's a little coffin. And when I open up the coffin, there's this cute little blonde hair, blue eyed baby with Down syndrome face, dead. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, it's the devil, it's the devil. I'm, and then five years later, I get the, the interpretation. This lady says, oh, you know what that means? That curse that the devil was trying to put on was broken. So the next day we're in, in the hospital and, and even the, the, the doctors, when, when little Zoe came out, she came out absolutely perfect. And the doctors were amazed. Today she is one year ahead of her, 
of her age because she's so smart. She's so far ahead. She just took a week off to come to New Zealand because she's so far ahead already in her. She, she, she's in, in, in grade four, but she's doing grade six math or maths. We say down here math. And she's reading at a first form level, and she's only 10 years of age. She's so far ahead. And those slimy devils tried to tell me that I needed to abort her, that there was something wrong. But what we have to go to war with is the Word of God. When you have the Word of God, it is an unmatchable power. It is an unstoppable force. When God said, let there be light, there was nothing the darkness could do. Come on, somebody say amen. And, and our job is to put the Word of God in our people. Our job is to, to preach. If you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a minister, in fact, if you're just a, a Christian, can I encourage you? God bless what the doctors say. God bless what the economists say. God bless what the lawyers say. God bless all of those people, but they are not the final authority. There is an authority that is above every other authority. And man, go to God. Let God give you a word. I remember my wife was sharing about how uh, we had no money, and, but we had a prophetic word from a prophet called Ed Trout. And uh, Ed Trout was a South African guy, and he pulls us out of the crowd. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are, but I just hear God telling me to tell you right now, you're going to have a home. He's going to pay your school fees. Hallelujah. And uh, so that's probably a bad South African accent. But anyway, and so, so he was prophesying. So he prophesies that the God's going to give us his house, right? And so we, we, you know, we're just youth pastors in Manukau, and we're on $18,000 a year, huge wicket, huge salary. And... Uh, and so, so uh, the assistant pastor of the church, he calls, um, he calls me into his office and he says, I hear that you, you know, believe that God's going to give you a house. I said, oh, man, you heard the prophecy. I've got it on a tape. So old it is, a tape. And he's like, let me just tell you, the house you're renting, that's God's blessing. I said, uh, your blessing, not my blessing. He's like, no, no, no. He goes, the house you're renting, that's the blessing of God. I said, uh-uh, on the tape. He says, God's going to give me a house. He goes, God, listen, you don't earn enough. So he has speed dogs. He was the business manager of our church. So he starts calling all the banks, National Bank, ANZ Bank, um, uh, Auckland Savings Bank. He just goes through all the banks, every single bank. He calls every single bank. And would you give someone who earned $18,000 a mortgage? No, no, no. Only one. ASB said, we'll give you forty grand. I said, oh, I want a house, not a car. That was it. So he goes, now just get that stupid idea out of your head. And I'm like, I'll keep my stupid idea because it's from God. And so anyway, so true story. So, so we start driving around, you know, a few places. And we're you know, driving through Otara and, you know, because I'm trying to, you know, go easy on God. And, uh, you know, and then I'll see this house. It's got busted windows and graffiti and, a, you know, kind of a car out the you know, front kind of with no wheels on the lawn. And, uh, and Leanne's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, maybe. She goes, I don't want to live here. So where do you want to live? She goes, I want to live in Waddle Downs. I'm like, Waddle Downs? We can't afford Waddle Downs. She goes, we can't afford this. Besides, I thought you said God was supplying. I'm like, oh, all my life I prayed for a woman of faith, and now you have to find your faith? Golly. And I thought, she's right. So we drove down to Waddle Downs, and I'm t t we would lay hands on letterboxes. And prophesying, and then they would come out, we'd scamper and, you know, run off. And anyway, if you were at the sisters' conference, Leanne shares a story. She's in the supermarket, and she's pregnant with our firstborn. And there's a beautiful lady in our church called Joan. And she says, oh, where are you living? Leanne says, well, funny enough, we, you know, we're believing God for a house. And we're praying. She says, oh, you're looking for a house? My daughter's selling hers. And Leanne's like, your daughter's selling hers? And she says, yeah, in Waddle Downs. Hello. 
And so, so anyway, so she gives her the address. We drive down, and it's quite derelict uh, condition, 10 Delmohoy Place it was. And so all I remember is I thought, I'm going to lay hands. I've been laying hands on letterboxes. I'm going to lay hands on this letterbox. So I put my hand on the letterbox. As soon as I put my hand on the letterbox, the word of the Lord comes to me. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And so I kind of snapped my hand back thinking, oh, that's not a nice prayer. This is Joan's daughter. I don't get all judgy. I said, God, behave yourself. Give me a different scripture. And I put my hand back on the letterbox, and the same word comes. The wealth of the sinner. Stored. I'm like, God, stop it. Will you behave? For goodness sake, country. Anyway, so I put my hand on the letterbox a third time. Third time. The wealth of the sinner stored up for the righteous. And I'm like, babe, I can't get away from it. This is what I've got to say. The wealth of the sinner stored up for the righteous. Well, so what had happened was, and this is what I didn't know, was her daughter and son-in-law got a job transfer to England. He's working for this big company that was sending him all over England. So he started traveling with his secretary. Oh, you can already see where this is going. So pretty soon the secretary, you know, I guess they were saving money. They were just getting one hotel room. So when the wife finds out, she's, she's done. So she's out. So she wants to. He has no idea that there's a youth pastor thousands of miles away in New Zealand laying hands on his letterbox prophesying the wealth of the sinner. Last time I checked, taking your secretary away and sharing one bedroom counts for sin. Anyway, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I've no, he has no idea. So he comes back and, and, and Joan, the lady in our church, tells him, oh yeah, I've already sold your house, you know, the youth pastor's going to buy it. So he spends three days partying with his friends. And so then he comes to me and says, oh, well, you know, you're buying the house and, you know, the valuation is 195 grand. I'm like, He's like, oh, what's the problem? He's like, um, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have 195 grand. And he's like, what? You blankety blank, what? He goes, what do you have? And I didn't have anything, but I couldn't tell him I got nothing. So I'm like, ah, oh, hundred. And he goes, hundred, and he said things about my mother that I know aren't true, and like all. You know, kinds of other things. And he gets in his car and he drives out of there. I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed, you know. Anyway, but because he was flying back out three days later, he called a few realtors and they said, oh, well, you know, we've got to go in. We've got to take photos. We've got to do this. And, you know, we've got these three options for marketing. And, you know, he'd spend all his money partying. And so he'd, so on the final day, he calls them, you can have the home. You can have the home. 100, 108,000 or whatever it was. You can have the home. I'm like, Hoo -hoo. So I went back to the ANZ Bank, and the ANZ Bank says, man, with that amount of equity, we think we can give you a loan. You don't even need to, to have a deposit. Now, if you have a deposit, we don't need to go through mortgage insurance, but because you don't have a deposit, because you've got no money, um, you, we've got to get your mortgage insurance. He says, but don't worry, with that amount of equity, you should be fine. So they go through the first mortgage insurance agency, they put the application, comes back negative. He goes, don't worry, there's two more. Second one, two days, comes back, Negative. They, they wouldn't give us the... He says, this one, yeah, it, should, it should, should be done. He goes, I'll find out tomorrow. So that night I go to bed and I'm lying in bed. It's about three o'clock and I'm tossing and turning, tossing and turning. And then the Holy Spirit says to me, they're, gonna, they're going to say no to the mortgage insurance. 
And now we'd already moved into the house. Leanne had already given birth to our firstborn, and she's already ripping up the carpet and tearing off all the wallpaper. I mean, she is jacking that house up. And I'm like, oh, dear. I said, God, God, no, you, you, no, what, no whoa, 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 God, you, you can do everything. You just got to fix it. And God says, no, no, no. He says, they're going to, the mortgage insurance company, they're going to say no. And I'm like, I've got a baby here. I've got nowhere else to go. If I have to move, I can't go on the street. What am I? So God, you've got to fix it. God, you, and so I had to get up because I didn't want to disturb Leanne. So I walked down to the Manukau Harbor, which is kind of right there where Waddle Downs is. And as I'm standing there in, in the harbor, I look out and it's uh, one of those, it's the middle of July and it's a blistery evening. The wind is howling and there's just, you know, white caps out on there. And then I look and I see a fishing boat. I thought, that's weird. Fishing boat at like half past three, quarter to four in the morning. And then I look over here and I see a guy walking on the water towards the fishing boat. I'm like, what on earth? And then I see him stop, and he stops about 50 feet away. And then I see as, as this man stops, as he's walking on the water, he goes like this. And then I see one of the guys in the fishing boat get out of the boat like this and begins to walk on the water. To, and then I realize I'm seeing a vision of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples in the boat. And then I see the guy, as he's going over the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. And then Jesus comes running and grabs him. Now, I knew the story from reading it, but I ne now I'm seeing it. And Jesus grabs him. And what was amazing is I never saw this before, but Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. You would think it would be easy to pull Jesus down. But Jesus pulls him up and says to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Because the Bible says when he saw the wind and the waves, Beginning to doubt, he sank. Because how many people know it's so much easier to walk on the water when there's no wind? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, there's no wind, you get like about five or six steps before you go under. But when it's windy, what does wind and waves have to do with it? Jesus said to him, Come, all, all Jesus had to do, because Peter was there when he says, launch out into the deep, look down your nets for a catch. Master, we toil all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will. Let down there. When you bend your will towards his word, supernatural happens. The next time Jesus is in a boat again with the disciples and the wind of the waves, Master, do you not care? We're perishing. This storm is crazy. Jesus, peace be still immediately. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him when he commands? And now Jesus is walking on the water and, G and Peter's like, man, there's something about you. Lord, if it is you, command me to come because you commanded the wind and the waves and they cease. You said launch out into the deep and we caught a great catch a fish so that both our net both our boats were sinking lord command me to come and when jesus said come peter got out of the boat out of the boat and started walking on water but now he begins to sink because he looks at his circumstances so jesus pulls him up like this and then i never saw this in the scripture before the two of them walk together and get into the boat and then as soon as they get into the boat, the word of the Lord hits me in my spirit and god said to me jürgen even if your faith fails even if your faith fails, I'm here to pick you up. Because if I was honest with you, I felt like I had nothing left. I felt like I was, I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I'm... That's how I felt. I just felt like i got nothing left in the tank. And God said to me, even if your faith... We have a God that even if your faith fails, He's there to pick you up. 
So the next day, I get a phone call from the bank manager at the ANZ Bank in Auckland, in uh, Manukau, at 4 o'clock. And he says, I'm sorry, they're not going to give you the mortgage. I'm so sorry. I don't know what else to say. You can't have the house. I'm like, oh, dear God, what do I do now? And he says, watch what I'm about to do. So the integrity thing, I've got to call Joan and her husband. Joan comes to church. Her husband doesn't. He was a World War II vet. And he just struggled believing that God was good of all the atrocities he saw in World War II. So I call up and I said, this is what happened. I said, just come over, just come over. So I drive around. I feel so ashamed. I feel so embarrassed. I get into the driveway. They invite me in. I go in and sit down. And he's quite a gruff man. He says, so what's going on, son? I said, well, sir, um, we didn't have a deposit. And none of the mortgage insurance companies would give us a loan. And he said, oh, well, how much are you short? I said, we're short about $15,000. He goes, well, why wouldn't they insure you? And I said, well, we don't earn enough. He goes, what do you, what do you mean you don't earn enough? I said, well, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. He goes, why don't you get a different job? I said, well, kind of serving God? He goes, well, don't you have a family? I said, yes, sir, I do. I'm trying to provide, but that's, that's just what the church pays. He said a few things about the church. And so and he looks at me and goes, so... What are you going to do? I said, oh, I, I don't know. My wife, and, you know, I'm just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. He goes, wait here. He gets up and he walks out. And I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm, and then I hear Jesus again say, watch what I'm about to do. I hear him slam a door and I'm like, oh, no, he's mad. And I hear it a third time, watch what I'm about to do. He comes back and he's got a shoebox. He takes the lid off the shoebox and there's a big, big football sock in there. And he reaches in the football sock and he pulls out and he's got these wads of cash. He goes, how much are you short? I said, well, we need 15. I would, now I wish I said $1 million. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was, anyway. And uh, if I could turn back time. Anyway, and so, so I said 15,000. And so he, true story. 10 100s, 1,000, 10 100s, 2,000, all the way up to 15,000. And then he puts it into the shoebox. And he pushes the shoebox towards me. And he says, let me tell you a story, son. Points to Joan. He says, when mom and I moved here from England, she was pregnant with our first. And we didn't have any money to buy a house. And I made friends with the builder. And he would build a house and he'd get a commission from building the house. One of the houses that he built, the commission that he got, he gave to mum and I so we could buy our first house. And then his lip began to quiver and his eyes filled with tears. He says, in my whole life, I've been waiting to do this for somebody else. Go and buy the home, son. The next day I walk into the ANZ bank. In fact, I didn't just walk in, I strutted in. No, no, I didn't do that. But, but I walked in, put the, the shoebox down. He, I mean, he thought I'd held up a bank or something. He's like, where did you get that? The national. No, no, you know, and uh, said the Lord provides. And so we got the home. So my whole life, I didn't grow up in church. So I don't know how to doubt God. All I know is if God says it, he'll do it. This day I've set you over nations. This day I've set you over kingdoms because my word is in your mouth. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to pray for, for people here. Maybe, maybe you've received a word from a doctor.
Maybe you've received a word from a lawyer. Maybe you've received a word from an attorney. Maybe you've received, maybe you live under a word. See, I was told that I was an accident. I was conceived in a Volkswagen, and my father had to marry my mother because she was pregnant before they were married. So my dad, my whole life, told me I was an accident. If your daddy tells you you're an accident, you just kind of believe it. And then I get to get saved at 18, and then God begins to speak to me that there are no accidents with him. I'm like, well, my dad said I'm an accident. He said, Jurgs, I knew you were coming. I had nine months to prepare. And when I heard that God had a purpose for someone's life, I thought, we can't have a purpose for me. I'm an accident. And God's like, Jurgs, before your daddy and mummy, I already knew you were coming. And how you came into the world doesn't determine your value. He says, I knew you were coming and I had a plan and a purpose for your life. What word are you living under? Maybe you live under a word and we all hear them. Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, life's difficult. Oh, Auckland's expensive. Pukekohe, oh, it's expensive. You can't buy a home in, in Pukekohe. I had my assistant pastor of the church sit me down and tell me, I'm just stubborn enough and dumb enough to say, God bless you. Talk to the hand. The ears aren't listening. Because unless God tells me I can't do it, I'm not doing it. If God tells me I can have it, then no man's going to uh, persuade me. I'm not sure what you're walking through. I'm not sure what you're going through. But I believe that God gave me this word tonight to tell people some good news. That whatever you're living under, God's word sets you over. God watches over his word to perform it. The most powerful thing you can do is speak the word. God wanted there to be light. But the light didn't come simply because God willed or wanted. God had to speak it. Let there be light. Every day we, I spoke out loud James 1.17 James 1.17 over Zoe, over, over Leanne. That every good and perfect gift. And I believe that as I spoke the word, God's power was able to land on that word. Whenever you speak God's word out, God's power now has a place that it can land upon. The absence of God's word. The Bible says the spirit of God was hovering. See, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters because he's dynamic. He's not static. He was moving, some other translations say. Because he's waiting for a word to be released so he can focus his power. And when God said, let there be light, the Holy Spirit was now able to land on something. The devil wants you to speak the words of the doctors. The devil wants you to speak the words of the economists. He wants you to speak the word of the naysayers. He wants you to speak the words of doom and gloom. Because the devil knows that power runs in agreement. The devil knows it is as you say. If you say when there's not going to be a big church in San Diego, there won't. if you say we'll never get a home here, if you say we're never going to get pregnant, if you say it is as you say. But can I just tell you tonight, I've made a decision that I want to say what God says. Three times Jesus whooped the devil. Three times all he did was, it is written. Every time Jesus said it is written, you know what he was doing? He was loading his mouth with the word of God. Oh, what's that devil? Oh, if I'm the son of God, I should turn stones into bread? Let me tell you something. It is written. Oh, oh, I should throw myself down from the temple? Let me tell you, it is written, Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Oh, you'll give me all these kingdoms and their glory if I just bow down and worship you? It is written. 
Thou shalt worship the Lord your God. Him only. Three times Satan came against him. Three times Jesus whooped the devil with nothing else than it is written. It is written. It is written. Why is that? Because Jesus is trying to tell you that you are more powerful than all the devils in hell when you are simply an echo of what God said. An echo of what God said is more powerful than Satan and all his lies. What is in your mouth tonight? What is your confession tonight? What are you speaking tonight? What did God say to Abram at 90? He says, from now on, you're changing your name. Abram means honored or exalted father. He says, I need you to change your name. He's like, good, it's embarrassing. I meet people in the marketplace and they say, what's your name? I say, my name's Abram, exalted father. Oh, where are your kids? I don't have any. You want to change your name. He's like, God, what are we changing it to? He says, we're changing it from Abram, the exalted father, to Abraham, father of many. For 10 years, Abraham is correcting people. Hey, Abram. Oh, it's not Abram anymore. Abraham, father of many. People are like, man, that guy's been in the sun too long. Does he own a distillery? Like he's, you know, people are thinking he's local. Crazy. But for 10 years, he's speaking father of many, father of many, father of many. Do you know how embarrassing it is that God was doing something powerful? Because God knew he couldn't change what was in her womb till he changed what was in Abraham's mouth. God couldn't change what was in Sarah's womb till he changed what was in Abraham's mouth. Don't line up with what the doctors say. Let, the doctors have already got an authority. Don't line up with what the economists say. They've already got an authority. Line up with what God says. What does God say about your body? What does God say about your future? What does God say about your provision? What does God say about your blessing? There are people here tonight, you need a breakthrough. There are people here tonight, you got to, God wants to put you over what you've been living under. i got to tell you, in my own life, for 32 years I've been following Jesus Christ. And for 32 years, I don't know how to preach to you any different other than to what I experienced. I moved to New Zealand, no, no promise of a salary. I moved seven years in New Zealand to, to northern beaches of Sydney, no salary. After seven years on the northern beaches, he sends me to San Diego, no salary. And God has provided the whole way. In fact, the blessing of God has so superseded because I've made a decision. If he says it, I'm going to repeat it. If it's in his mouth, I'm going to put it in my mouth. I'm not going to agree with the naysayers. I'm going to agree with the great God. I'm going to side with God. I'm going to lean on God. So what is God saying about you? 1 Peter 2.24 says that by his stripes you were healed. But the doctors say, yeah, well, why don't you line up with the word of God? Make a decision. I was, I was praying for a gentleman in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And he said to me, uh, he says, would you pray for my cancer? And I went to pray for him, and the Holy Spirit said, don't you pray for him. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was, he was quite an old man. He was on a walking frame. I said, but God, I've got compassion. I want to pray for him. And God says, don't pray for him because I'm not a thief. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, he asked you to pray for his cancer. He owns it. I'm not a thief. The devil's the thief. I'm not a thief. I've given him healing, but he says, no, no, I've, I've got cancer. I said, sir, God wants you to, to actually let go of your cancer and confess what the Bible says, 1 Peter 2.24, that by his stripes you were healed. 
You need to stop confessing, I've got cancer. You need to start confessing, I have healing. It was purchased to, for you 2,000 years ago. For you and I to go to heaven, Jesus just had to, to shed his blood on a cross. But the Bible says he gave his back to those who beat him. So that by his stripes, there's a, there's a receipt in heaven with your healing already purchased. And it's the stripes on Jesus' back. But if you say, I have, God's not a thief. The devil's a thief. God won't take something that you own. But if you make a decision tonight, you know what? I have healing in Jesus' name. You'll find that, that now that you begin to speak that word out, you'll find that now God's power has somewhere to land. God's, so I said to the man, I said, you don't have cancer, you have healing. But you've got to make a choice because the doctors have said you've got cancer. The Bible says you've got healing. Which one is it? And he began to weep and he says, I've got healing. I said, I want you to keep saying that. And I went all the way down the line, prayed for people. Came back, must have been 10 or 15 minutes later, I got carried away prophesying and I got a little bit of ADD. Squirrel, sorry. And, you know, and, and so anyway, and so, so by the time I get back, he's, and so he's kind of rocking. And so I pray for him, hits the deck. This is in Atlanta, Georgia. One month later, I get a, a letter from his daughter saying dad is completely free of cancer. They can't even find the cancer in his body. He doesn't need the walker anymore. Completely healed. What are you saying? Line up with the Word of God. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Father, I thank you for Graham tonight. And I thank you that your power rests upon him. Father, and his desire is to see his boy, his grandson, become 21, play football. Father, the Bible says, with a long life, you satisfy. And you satisfy you, Graham, not because of your performance or your perfection, or your, but because he loves you. God sent his Word to make up for our performance. God does everything through his word, because if it was up to our performance, we'd all, none of us would, would enjoy life. So God sends his word, and I thank you, Father, for power hitting Graham in the top of his head, going right through his body, healing, going right through him even now. Healing, flowing right through him now. I speak to the heart valves, and I say unblock in Jesus' name. And I speak to the cancer, and I command you, under the sound of my voice, begin to disintegrate now. You do as I say, you begin to leave this body now in Jesus' name. And I prophesy healing over his body, health over his body. I declare every cell respond now by his stripes, by Jesus' stripes. He is healed in Jesus' name. He is healed in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those also needing healing. Somebody with, with a degenerative arth arthritic condition, I reverse the curse in the name of Jesus Christ. The, the pain goes out of your joints and healing begins to flow. The pain goes out of your joints, healing begins to flow. Healing begins to flow. Healing begins to flow. Somebody else with, with some issue in your pancreas, a pancreatic condition, I see you being healed right now. Somebody else with, with, with a lung condition, asthma, something else, somebody almost like asbestos or something was, was in the lungs. Your lungs got damaged. Uh, uh, a cystic thing and I, I see it being healed right now healed right now healed right now somebody else there's a, the, I see like a, a rod in the top of your spine and you constantly have migraines I see God healing you even now healing you even now somebody else with, with your, your ear imbalance 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 and you have dizziness and I speak healing in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those. I pray for those today who have said, man, it's too expensive. 
home buyers. It's too expensive. It's too difficult to get a home. Even Pukekohe, man, has gone through the roof. How do we get a home? I want you to know that your God is Jehovah Jireh. Every year, every year, God's word works. It works in Moscow. It works in New York. It works in San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles. It works in Sydney. It works in Auckland. It works in Remuera. It works in St. Helier's Bay. It works in Pukekohe. It works in Tauranga. It works in Taranaki. It works in Wellington. God's word works every Everywhere. In fact, God's word isn't limited by geography. It's limited by faith. It's limited by belief. God is always looking for a believer. Before they were called Christians in the New Testament, they were called believers. I want you to believe God's word. I want you to believe that God can supply. You may say, but how? How can have, I don't have a deposit? I don't have. God doesn't need a deposit. He just needs a believer. He just needs a believer. He just needs a believer. What do you believe in God for? The people here, your children are away from God and you've confessed their struggle. You've actually confessed that there are issues and you've confessed. But I want you to begin to change your confession. Begin to confess the promises of God. Begin to confess the promises of God. My children shall be taught of the Lord. My children shall be taught of the Lord. We had an eight-year battle with our eldest son. The devil three times tried to kill his life. Three times tried to take him out. He was addicted to heroin for eight years. But what Leanne and I did was we fought for him. And we fought for him with the Word of God. And we began to declare that our children shall be taught of the Lord, that our quiver is full, that he comes back. He's going to be walking into the house of God, raising his hands, that God is a God of generations, that salvation comes to me and my household. Salvation comes to me and my household. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to you and this entire household. Noah's kids were saved because of Noah's faith. Noah's kids were saved. Noah built something in faith that saved and housed his children from the judgment. And I declared, I began to declare over my son that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. I began to declare that the enemy come again, may come against him one way but will flee in seven directions. And I began to see things shift. What are you confessing? Begin to confess. My children are taught of the Lord. My children are coming back. My, my sons and daughters are coming off drugs. They're coming off alcoholism begin to prophesy that those who, who are unable to have children or maybe you've been miscarrying father I thank you right now I want you to begin to speak the blessed is my womb blessed is my womb blessed is my womb blessed is the fruit of my womb blessed is the father I declare pregnancies 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 but lady in our church Unable to conceive, unable to conceive. The doctor said you need to, you need to adopt. You need to adopt, you need to adopt. It's your only chance. Her and her husband tried one last ditch. They spent their house deposit to go to L.A. to the number one in vitro fertilization place. They had, I think it was seven eggs that, 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 that were ready. And then all of a sudden they get this phone call. The phone call said, man, this has never happened before. But there was a power surge and an outage. And we only lost one batch of eggs, yours. Thousands of eggs, only one batch was lost, theirs. They spent their entire house deposit. Nothing. Reminded me of that story. She spent all that she had, but rather grew worse. As soon as I heard that, I thought, nah, that's, that's not a coincidence. That's a devil. That's a curse. So I brought them into to the green room before church and I said I break this curse in the name of Jesus and I felt a power surge today without in vitro today without anything else 
to have the most magnificent little handsome baby boy. I'm telling you, there was a power in the Word of God. There was a power in the Word of God. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Listen, God doesn't, God doesn't anoint pastors. He anoints people. God doesn't move through anointed pastors only. He moves through people who dare to believe His Word. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, tonight I declare that I will carry Your Word in my mouth. I choose to align. I choose to come into agreement with what you say. Not what the world says. Not what my culture says. Not what the experts say. But what you say. And I'm going to speak your word. Knowing that you watch over your word to perform it. And I'm going to send out the word so that you can perform. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just leave your hands lifted, lift your hands lifted. Father, I thank you for these magnificent sons and daughters of yours. And I thank you. And I'm telling you, I literally hear the Holy Spirit like the sound of rain, raining miracles, raining miracles. Miracles are breaking out simply because you, you've shifted tonight into believing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, believing the Word of God. The Bible says that the disciples went out preaching the Word the Lord confirming the word with signs and wonders following because they had the audacity to preach the gospel, the audacity to declare what God had said. God's power now had a landing place. When you speak the word of God, God's power has a place to land. But when you speak what the world says, God's power doesn't have anywhere to land. Don't speak what the world says. Don't speak what the culture says. Don't speak what the, speak what the word says. What does the word say? Begin to speak and declare what the word says. Father, I thank you for these beautiful sons and daughters. And I thank you for miracle after miracle, testimony after testimony, healings, babies, provision, breakthroughs, blessing. See, somebody somebody right now snared by a heavy debt, by a heavy debt. And the Lord would say before the years ended, from three different directions, your, your debt is going to be completely canceled. From three different directions, three different directions, your debt is going to be completely canceled. I just heard the Lord say that. Somebody here, this heavy debt from three different directions, it'll come. And you'll know it's the word of the Lord because from three different directions, unknown to you at this moment, from three different directions, it'll come and it'll just completely wipe out that debt. It's the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, did you hear something from God tonight? Would you give God a great praise? Thank you, Pastor Trinity.